Hi, and welcome to Elevate Potential. I'm so glad that you're here. This is a podcast that is designed to help you escape patterns, embrace passion, and elevate potential. My name is Elizabeth Perry, and as a lifelong student of psychology, personal development, and human potential, as well as a transpersonal life and leadership coach, I will be your guide as together we learn from others who are on this journey. Let's dive in. The satisfying thing though, and I'm sure you're seeing the same thing, is you start to go down this path and you start to have these aha moments of, oh, whoa, actually, I'm awesome. (laughs) Like, I actually really love this part of me, or I used to think this part of me was weird or not what it should be. And now I realize I love it and it's me and I can embrace that. And there's something so incredibly liberating about it. In this episode, Casey Jones shares with us her story towards embracing post-traumatic growth and vulnerability. Together, we unpack how she started to escape her pattern of living for the approval of others in order to embrace her authentic self. Let's dive into it. All right, Casey, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited for this conversation. Casey Jones is a thought leadership and growth coach for entrepreneurs, helping them build authentic, powerful personal brands and create high growth businesses with impact. She's also the host of a podcast, The Other Side of Sales, which shares the diverse voices in the sales community, which is how I found Casey through a sales event. What she was saying just really spoke to me. And so then I reached out and actually took her podcast course in order to launch this podcast. So I'm so excited to host her today. Welcome, Casey. Thank you for that. It's so exciting and it's so, I don't know, I feel honored to play even the smallest role in you starting this podcast because we were just talking about the topic is near and dear to my heart. And I think it's an amazing and important conversation that you are having with folks, especially after the crazy year that everybody has had. So I I feel honored to be one of the first guests. I feel honored to get to play a part in all of this. And I'm just super excited for this conversation. Thank you. And I remember when I met you, the question I had asked was, how do we get past the hustle culture and sales? And that was what sparked us connecting. And then you had reached out and given me a discount on your podcast course. And I had told my friends at that time, I was like, this is my sign. She is giving me a discount. I have to do it. And it's just taken me on this journey that I'm really grateful to be on. So thank you for following your own gut and just reaching out and giving me that opportunity. Easy. And I'm so glad I did. And I'm, I'm so glad um, that you're here and you're doing it. I want to give a little bit of background for everybody listening today. So tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Where are you now? I'd love to hear a little bit of your story and then we'll dive further, of course. Sure. Yeah. I live in Portland, Oregon now, and I've been here a really long time. It's a little crazy. I just had my 19th anniversary here in Portland. So I've literally spent half my life here. I moved around a lot growing up. So I started in New York, lived there until I was 11. We moved to Miami. I lived in Miami until I was 16, but I went to boarding school my last Mm. year there. And then my parents moved to California and I was going to stay at boarding school. But on a whim, I was like, oh, what if I went to school in California? Stupidest decision ever. So I wound up going to three schools in three states in three years. It's rough, gotta be honest, kind of rough. And, but it was while I was there that I decided I wanted to spend time in, in the Pacific Northwest and wound up going to college here in Portland and I've stayed, which is 
crazy because when I went to college in Portland, Portland was one giant dive bar. And most of my 20s, it was impossible to get a good job in Portland. So that made starting my career pretty tough. And I also, I went to a very nerdy, very intellectual school. Mm -hmm. And so I graduated from college having literally no clue what a person could do for a living, let alone what I wanted to do. I knew this vague idea that people could go into finance. I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew that was a thing because that was in movies and stuff. And that was what what my dad did. And I knew you could work in politics. And that's what I thought I would do. Did that for a bit, hated it. And I knew I could go to grad school. That was it. And so That's why I wound up in sales. It's always the most random path. There's not that many people who are like, I want to be in sales and especially women. Mm -hmm. And I just fell into it. The job talked about being able to talk to people. Okay, whatever. I can do that. And I just fell into it and did that for quite a while, then made the transition to marketing and did a lot of stuff on the marketing side, especially startup marketing, lots of demand gen, lots of really scrappy things. That's why I do a lot with entrepreneurs and startups. Speaking my life story right now. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's also why I'm super passionate about sales is that I think anybody who's not sure what they want to do If you don't want to be technical and go to coding school, sales is the perfect place to start because you cut your teeth learning so much about how business just works. Mm -hmm. And you learn to talk to people, you learn how to communicate, you develop a thicker skin, you are forced to learn empathy in your own way, and you wind up touching a lot of other departments. And so it's this amazing place to learn and explore and then decide what next. Mm-hmm. I am excited that we met through the sales conversation because I have this theory that salespeople just have this magic sauce. And when you really start escaping patterns and embracing your passion, that's when you're able to really unlock like, your true potential. And I see that mm-hmm. so often in people who come from sales backgrounds. And so actually, one of the questions that I love to ask people these days, mostly for my own personal knowledge, is what is an affirmation or a saying that that's really been speaking to you lately in your healing journey? Yeah. So there's a few, and that's a really good question, but one that I think shapes so much of what I do. And particularly when I think about the work that I do with entrepreneurs, and particularly when I think about the kind of impact you want to have. I love the quote by Maya Angelou, where she says, no one's going to remember what you said. They're not going to remember what you did. They're going to remember how you made them feel. Mm. And there's something about that, that frankly is so liberating because for me, it's really easy to judge yourself on whether you got something right or the results that you delivered or all of these other things, but really the stuff that we wind up getting so stressed about and so worried about are things that usually in two weeks, let alone five years, we don't even remember happened. And the things that really matter are so easy to ignore, right? How we can spark something in someone else where they think we have been the conduit that sent them a sign from the universe that they need to start a podcast. It's things like that that are so easy for us to not pay attention to. And when you take a step back and you start to train yourself to focus on the way you make other people feel and the way you make yourself feel, Mm -hmm. 
life feels more beautiful. It feels more purpose-driven. It feels richer and we all feel wealthier. I think that is so important and something that so many of us ignore. Just how do I feel today? How does this action make me feel? How does my job make me feel? How am I making other people feel? And I know that this year has been a year of incredible growth for you. And I'd love to hear a little bit more and just see if you'd be willing to share what led to this growth and this focus on well-being, personal well-being, as well as the impact that you're making on the world. Yeah. Let's be clear and let's be real. It started with lots of bad stuff. Mm -hmm. So up until just about right before COVID and actually the beginning, I was running an agency. I had started my own consulting firm around marketing strategy and all this stuff. I had a bunch of clients that were like, oh, strategy is great, but can you help us execute? So I, I started an agency. It took February of 2020 when I developed severe vertigo oh. from a viral ear infection. And my doctors were like, this is stress. What's going on? And I was like, oh, I'm burnt out. I hate running an agency. So I had this aha moment where I was like, okay, what am I doing? I, I don't love my work. I don't know what I'm doing. And so that started me on this soul searching of what I really wanted to do. And then, and I knew I wanted to go down the coaching route because I started to think about what feeds me and what I love. And it's the one-on-one -on -one stuff of working with entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And then I got attacked by my dog and I was home alone. I was working from home. This was in June and we'd had this rescue dog for two years. We didn't rescue him. A friend did. They asked us to take care of him for two weeks. Two years later, we still had him. And he'd always shown aggression towards my other dog, but not towards us. Mm-hmm. And I could just tell he was going to go after my dog. My dog was barking. And so I got my dog out the back door and the, the switch had been flipped and he was going to attack something. And so he came after me instead and he tried to kill me and I fought like hell. The moment that I realized that I wasn't going to get out of there alone, I started, I got the side door to my house open. I started screaming for help. And my next door neighbors actually heard my cries and they came and they saved me. But I spent almost a week in the hospital. I had pretty extensive surgery, no permanent damage other than some gnarly scars on my arms. But what was fascinating about it is I would not wish this experience on anyone, but it was one of the best blessings that possibly could have happened to me because there's a couple of things that I learned. So one, I learned that I'm a lot stronger than I thought I was and I could get through a lot more. Mm. I learned that my community and my network is stronger and more supportive and closer and tighter knit than I ever realized. And the other thing that was eye-opening for me is, and this has launched this whole new journey for what I do, is I really realized that I had lots of unresolved trauma from my past. And this is what I've learned through this whole experience. A lot of people don't realize this. There's two classifications of trauma. There's, they literally refer to it as big T, capital T trauma and little T trauma. Yeah. Big T trauma is what we think of. It's like the PTSD shit. It's the getting attacked by a dog. It's the being in war. It's the violent life or death stuff. Little T trauma is 
way more common. We've all kind of gone through it. Hell, COVID has been our own collective little tea trauma. And it's the stuff that is way more subtle. It's much more nuanced, but it's also usually a lot longer lasting. Mm -hmm. So it's the, hey, maybe your parents ignored you a little bit when you were growing up or you were bullied as a kid, or maybe you have chronic health issues or you were in a toxic relationship or marriage. Mm -hmm. Maybe you were in a toxic work environment. There's lots of these things. And what I'm realizing is we don't really recognize that as trauma. Mm -hmm. And so weirdly, me having my big T trauma suddenly made it okay for me to recognize that I had decades of this little T trauma that I was not dealing with mm. and that was holding me back in my life and in my career and in my business. Oh. Yeah. That is so important. I think just even normalizing trauma, especially now where so many of us are going through this persistent trauma through COVID. Yeah. It's time that we normalize that many people, if not most, have experienced little t trauma and the impact of that persistent trauma is not talked about enough. No. And here's the deal. The stuff, the behaviors we learn, they help save us. They help us get through these experiences. They're good things that we learn. Mm -hmm. However... They help us survive those things, but they do not help us thrive once we get out of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I realized that happens even more, and it, this is what's so fascinating about it to me, is those of us that work really hard on being positive and filled with gratitude and, and all of these things, we often have the most <laughs> unprocessed trauma because we get into this habit of what Brene Brown calls, which I freaking love that she calls this out, comparative suffering, where we get into this game of we're like, oh, I don't have it that bad. There's so many people that have it so much worse. I'm doing okay. I've got a roof over my head. I, whatever, you list out all the things, all the reasons why you should be grateful. And so what you wind up doing is you dismiss the pain mm -hmm. that you have a right to experience. And the problem is we all know this. So when you don't deal with it, it doesn't go away. It just festers. Yes. And another one of my favorite Brene Brown isms is when you dismiss the pain, you also dismiss the joy. You can't just block out the, the quote unquote negative emotions. All emotions are valuable to our life experience. And when you when you push out the ones that you don't like, you're actually just diminishing your full emotional experience and your ability to live a wholehearted life. I could go on and on on Brene Brown. I can't, I'm yeah. so, just so happy you brought her up. She's, she is a goddess and a light. And it's interesting, that episode of her talking about comparative suffering, I've shared that with so many people, especially recently, because I know so many people during COVID where we're like, oh, I still have a job or my family's doing okay, or no one's ill, but it's needed to still recognize all the things that we've lost. Yeah. And you nailed it. Brene nailed it. That when we don't recognize 
what we've lost, that means we're not really recognizing the things that we've gained and the things that we have. And there's something about the way I described it over and over again, when I was really still deep healing from the dog attack is I just felt like I had this rawness to my heart in a way that I loved. I loved it. I felt everything so deeply. And still I cry so much more easily about beautiful things and things that make me happy. And I don't ever want it to go away. How did you continue to stay open after this experience? It sounds like this trauma just really opened you up. What did you do to continue the work and stay open? That is a really good question. A few things. One, I was in therapy a lot mm -hmm. and I, I, I had been regularly seeing a therapist for years because once I went through my divorce four years ago, now it's almost five years ago. I regularly saw a therapist. And I think at the time we were bi-weekly. Mm -hmm. And the night after I had surgery, they come into your hospital room all the time. And, and I'd fallen asleep after surgery. And then I woke up again at one o'clock in the morning and I could not go back to sleep because I could not stop crying. Ugh. And I remember just having this sinking feeling that my instinct was to crawl into a dark hole and not talk to anybody. And I needed to do everything I could to prevent that. Mm. My hands were all bandaged. I couldn't use my phone with my hands. And so I recorded a voice message for my therapist and sent it to him via email at four o'clock in the morning. And I said, I was, I, this is what's happened. I need help. And so I started, see, I started seeing him twice a week and I saw him twice a week for probably four months. I still see him once a week. But the other big thing is I talked about it all the time. I also, that next day, posted something public on LinkedIn. And I was, hey, here's what's going on and here's what's happened to me. And part of me was, is this crazy? Should I be, be doing this? I'm so glad I did because it forced me to talk about it. It made sure that tons of people were constantly checking in on me. Mm. so that, yeah, I went through periods where I wouldn't respond to people's text messages for a few days or a week, but I couldn't get away with actually retreating. And so I designed my life in a way that I couldn't hide. Mm. This is the other thing I will say though, about the blessing of big T trauma. I didn't have an ounce of shame or worry about crying in public or crying while having conversations with people, which I do, I did about literally everything else bad that had happened in my life. And so there was this freedom to just let it out. And I ran with it. The other thing I think that was super helpful is I also became a student of all of this. Mm. both in terms of trauma in general, but also my experience with it. And what that meant is I could constantly explore how it was evolving for me and how I was dealing with it and how it was changing. And I could talk about that in a way that was, that didn't feel heavy all the time. Mm. And I think this is the best thing that my therapist has taught me both before this, but also after is to be curious when you have a strong reaction to something, instead of 
trying to dismiss it or move beyond it, take a moment, close your eyes, summon that feeling and get really curious about how it feels. How does it feel in your body? What memories come up? Because that was what was crazy for me is it was memories of my childhood that were coming up while I was dealing with this. And that was what kind of opened the door of, oh, whoa, there's a bunch of other stuff here that I need to deal with. And it, that is what really helped for me. What are you unlearning from childhood right now? What are some things that you're unlearning and reprogramming? Yeah. I think I really learned growing up that I only got attention if I was perfect or if I was in crisis mode. Mm. And let's be clear, it was perfect by somebody else's standards. I don't think it's until my late thirties when I started to even have a sense of who I was, what was I interested in? What was my personality really? The I'd spent it was honestly, it was until I got divorced, I'd spent my entire life creating a sense of self that would be pleasing to the people around me. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of time to unpack. And I think it's also really common. Yeah. You're telling me, I, I feel I went through the exact same experience last year, similar in realizing that so much of my self-worth was dependent upon definitions that other people had set for me. And it was a safety mechanism of, I want to control everybody's opinions about me so that I could feel safe and not rejected. And I think social media can play a huge role in that as well. But yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. And, and it's funny, it's, I convinced myself that That I was, that I could, you know, easily be raw and vulnerable and stuff that, but it took until a few years after my divorce that I really realized that was I though, it was, I was just controlling the narrative around those things. And so I would say tough things or tell very honest stories, but I would do it in a way. So it was me basically putting it out there so that no one could do it first it was controlling the narrative. I was my own mini PR firm. And like, <laughs> that's not being honest. And it's the thing that I think is really fascinating though, is when you start to go down this path, you, you're constantly peeling back layers. I asked my, my therapist a couple of weeks ago, I was like, am I ever going to get to a point when I was like, I'm 38 and I'm still talking about my parents. Am I ever going to get to a point when I'm like, no, figured it out. And he just started laughing. He was like, no, he was like, what's going to happen is you want to think of it, of it like a spiral. You're going around and you're going to think about this aspect for a while. And then you're going to move on to these others. And you're probably going to circle back around. He's like, but each time you do, you're at a slightly higher level. And so eventually, yeah, you're still going to spot these things and you're going to pick up these things and you're going to find new patterns, but you're going to do it from this elevated perspective and you're not going to be so deep in it. And I I say that was a couple of weeks ago. That was probably a couple of months ago. And he's spot on because I'm already there. And the satisfying thing though, and I'm sure you're seeing the same thing is you start to go down this path and you start to have these aha moments of, oh, whoa, actually I'm awesome. Like, I actually really love this part of me, or I used to think this part of me was weird or not what it should be. And now I realize I love it and it's me and I can embrace that. And there's something so incredibly liberating about it. Yeah, I am. 
I feel like I'm still working on that piece, if, to be completely honest, this yeah. self-acceptance. It's like you said, it's not linear. There's moments where I've felt it. And right now, today, you find me in a place that it just seems that life keeps hitting me. And so today, self-acceptance isn't happening right now. But I think that what you expressed around, it's a journey and you're going to go around the circle a few times. I had that realization. Hundreds of times, (laughs) let's be clear. (laughs) And I had that realization recently of healing is a lifestyle. It's not a moment in time. And I can't just do it for a year and then be like, okay, done with the healing stuff. No, that's not how it works. My mom always asks, she's like, girl, how many therapists you gonna see? Like, And I'm like, I don't know, mom. I, and I'm probably gonna be in therapy my whole life, but that means that I'm dedicated to healing and growing and to rewriting generational trauma. That's what we are doing right now. Huge. That is huge. And that's the thing that it took me a while to even get to that point. That's new for me in my journey. And it's been really interesting. Two months ago, three months ago, what is time? I don't <laughs> so hard these Out days. Out a year. It COVID. feels like it was a couple of weeks ago, but I was now, I think it was in December. So it was, it was months ago, but I did the whole 23 and me and got my genetic test back, whatever. And I'm talking to my mom and she's asking me questions. And my mother never knew her father. So my mom's mom was married five times. Her father left when she was really young. And so she grew up thinking that husband number three was her real father. Didn't find out until my grandmother got divorced. That was not her real dad. So my mom literally never even saw a picture of her biological father. And so my mother was 65. Wow. I was like, oh, a bunch of the distant cousins I got connected to are on her father's side, her biological father's side. And she goes, oh, she's, yeah, that makes sense. She's like, because after my parents split up, he got married again. And she was like, and also his father was married twice and had two different families. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. And she goes, oh, I've never told you this story. And I was like, no, what story? And she said, she's now, I'm not a hundred percent certain it's true, but I've had multiple people tell me this. And I think it's true your great-grandfather and and great-grandmother, they were in, in their car driving home from dinner. And he told her that he was in love with someone else and he was divorcing her and leaving her. This is the 1930s. Wow. And she opened the car door and threw herself from the car and killed herself. Oh my goodness. And I was like, how have you never told me that story? Yeah, And then I said, oh, whoa, that makes sense why your father maybe was not a stick to it family guy and wound up leaving. She goes, oh, that's not why he left. And I was like, why did he leave? She was, oh, he was a gunner in in a Navy plane in World War II. And he came home with absolutely crippling PTSD. They called it shell shock. Mm -hmm. And he was super violent and super abusive to your grandmother. And that's why. Okay. I'm 38. I've never heard that. Wow. And that's the other thing. We have so much trauma in our families and in our family histories. And the way that we hold on to that, the way that we inherit that, the way that that seeps into how we learn to show up as humans, the biological stuff and the genetic stuff, totally, but also just what that must have done to my grandmother Mm-hmm. to my mother. Yeah. And we don't talk about this stuff at all. 
Yes. And I think that sometimes I felt disadvantaged in a way because I knew all of my family shit. And it made me so hyper-conscious having studied psychology in yeah. college and just knowing what my what the odds were that I had developed addiction and that I had developed mental health issues because addiction just goes all the way. There's not someone in my family who doesn't have it. But then I meet people who find out about their trauma later in life. And it you realize that there is almost nobody that you can meet who does not have generational trauma, who does not have addiction in their family, who does not have mental health issues in their family, but you feel so alone in it because nobody talks about it. That is such a perfect point. It's that we don't talk about it. And when we do talk about it, it's, I just did where it's like, whoa, crazy story, but we don't have a real conversations about what this actually means for us and how that bleeds into our experience growing up mm-hmm. and our way of showing up in the world. Yeah. And I was aware of some of the trauma not all of it. And I can imagine that when you're aware of all of it, it feels like a burden. It feels like a weight. But there's also something about, I don't know, being able to lay your cards out on the table and know what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And it's the other thing that I think has been fascinating for me. And I don't know if you've read the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. But when you start to learn also how we deal with it as a society and The fact that even just from a medical standpoint, there's all these psychologists and psychiatrists that have been fighting the American psychiatric system for years, trying to get childhood trauma added to the DSM so it can be a diagnosis and they refuse. So the only way people that have this trauma in their past can get diagnosed and get treated is if they get diagnosed for something else. And what winds up happening is they get diagnosed for a symptom Mm. and treated for the symptom, not the cause. And if we actually just changed how we talk about things and actually talked about them, I can't imagine how incredibly different our interpersonal relationships would be, our ability to show up as our whole selves Mm -hmm. and The more I delve into this, the more I realize we have this incredible opportunity to change how we do this. And that's why when I saw the topic of your podcast, the clouds parted and angels started singing because these are the conversations that we need to be having so that people can start to recognize I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. And talking about my trauma doesn't make me a victim and it doesn't make me weak. It makes me human. Exactly. And there's no shame in doing so. And it's not attention seeking. It's just trying to feel your human experience and share the full human experience that you have. Yeah. There's so many questions I still want to ask you. (laughs) I want to take it a layer deeper. What are some of the other patterns that you're unraveling right now and noticing some of those ties? Yeah. So the biggest one for me, we all seem to have one kind of core message Mm -hmm. that sort of our trauma teaches us. And for me, the phrase that was just always in my head was you're not enough. That's mine. Yeah. 
Yeah. And starting to unravel that, it's hard. And the thing I think that was really hard is that's, I love my mother. I love my parents. We're close, but that's my mom. Mm. And what was really interesting and hard for me is having those realizations while I was also dealing with recovering from this dog attack in the middle of COVID, all these other things also going through the election and my parents are conservative and I'm not. And so it was a lot of stuff and it made me just hyper aware of the things that she would say where I'd be like, good Lord, if you could hear yourself. And I think it also helped me start to realize all of the ways that I sought out people that confirmed that view for me. Oh, yeah. And I was married to not diagnosed, but definitely a narcissist. And it was, it was a total mind trip because in the beginning of our kind of courtship, it was, I could do no wrong. And I was the goddess and publicly, even throughout our marriage on and on about how amazing I was, but behind closed doors, I could not do anything. And it's funny the way I looked at it, then the way I would describe it as I was like, oh, I come from a, a family that is high praise, high criticism. And so I wind up being around people like that. And I thought that was a very rational thing. It was like, nope. <laughs> that is what we do is we seek out people and environments that firm. And I, and I look at my track record. I've had multiple bosses that I would constitute as narcissists. I've had business partners over and over again. I would seek these people and these types of relationships out that would just confirm that I'm not good enough. And how that gets passed down. I know you said that a lot of that comes from your mom. I heard something recently that really stuck, which was our parents pass down their self-talk to us. Huh. Um oh. Without a doubt. It's interesting. And similarly with my mom, I'm not enough is my belief. And that's how she feels too. And that's what she's working through in therapy. And you don't realize, I didn't realize how my self-belief that I'm not enough was also impacting those around me. Yeah. And that's the other thing that we don't get is this is something that I wind up talking to the clients that I work with and the clients that I coach a lot is I'll talk to people. They've convinced themselves that them taking a back seat and them doing what everybody else wants, that's them being selfless and it's them serving others. Mm. It doesn't serve others. You playing small, you minimizing yourself does nothing for anyone. The only thing it might do is it might help the narcissist to be more of a narcissist. And you start to think about your friends, your partners. I'm not a parent, but also your kids. If they see that example that you're setting, that you can't show up as fully yourself. And the thing for me that I realized is I had very few close friends until I got divorced and started dealing with that trauma. And that's because people struggled to bond with me because I wasn't authentically me. What were they connecting to? A figment of my own imagination. 
Oh, that's so real. It's that that vulnerability, that authenticity that we share with people. That is how they connect with us. The one thing I was just going to say is the other thing is that when you show up authentically as yourself, you are empowering others to do the same. Mm-hmm. So it's this, you're the gateway drug to authenticity. You do it and it creates this tidal wave. It's this domino effect of everyone else feeling they can. So when you don't do it, it does the same thing, but in reverse. Yes. Preach. I know that prior to us jumping on live, you had shared with me that one of the systems or tools that you used was the Hoffman process. And I just couldn't end this episode without learning about it because I feel like that's the practical ways that other people can start to join in on this healing journey. So I would love if you can share a little bit about what is the Hoffman process? How has it worked for you? And look, I want to, I want to tell you when I finally become a millionaire, my goal is basically to be able to afford to send anybody that I love and care about to go through this process Mm. because it completely changed my life. And it took years for it all to sink in, but it is, was one of the most eye-opening experiences. So it's eight days. It's a retreat. It is the most intense eight days you will have in your life. Okay. So They have two things that they work on. First is this idea that we inherit all of our negative behavioral patterns we learn from our parents. And so before you even get there, you sign up and they send you this massive workbook and it's 50 pages, but 35 of those pages, I think I have mine somewhere. I need to go through it are just lists of negative behavioral patterns and they group them into types of things that you do. And you go through it three times. First time you go through it and you mark Anything that you remember your mother doing when you were a pre-adolescent. Okay. So what your parents do now doesn't really matter. It's what your parents did when you were a kid. Then you go through and you do the same thing for your father. And then you go through a third time and you mark anything that you do in your life or that you do the exact opposite of. And I remember going through it and I got to the end and I was, oh my God, I have no free will. I am not my own person. (laughs) And I remember feeling this overwhelming feeling of just, I felt defeated at first. But then it dawned on me. Okay. All the negative shit that I do in my life, all of the things that I do that block me from being the kind of person I want. That's not my personality. That is a pattern that I learned. And that means I can unlearn it. Yes. And this is the thing that I hear all the time. People will be like, oh, you know, I'm a perfectionist. That's just my personality. Or no, mm. I, I have to do everything myself. That's just my personality. No, it's not. That's not your personality. That is learned behavior. That is your trauma response. That is not who you are as a human. Yes. Yes. Don't over identify with your limitations. Yes. We aren't negative as humans. That's not it, right? Do you ever meet a small child that is a cynical little kid? No, it's not how your brain works. And so you go through that. And the the whole first part of Hoffman is you basically dealing with all of this Mm -hmm. and you metaphorically kill your mother and then your father. And it's the craziest experience. (laughs) Holy moly. It's, it is truly liberating, but then you forgive them Mm -hmm. and you develop compassion for them because of what they went through. And the fact that they were doing the 
best freaking job. They did a bang up job mm-hmm. given the tools that they were given from their parents. Yes. And then you spend the next half of the week there really getting in touch with yourself. And they have this whole philosophy on the quadrinity of self. And the idea is that you have a physical self, a mental, rational self, an emotional self, and then you have your spirit. Mm -hmm. And their whole argument is that the physical, the mental, the emotional they're loud. They yell at each other. They command attention. And so if you can't get them to quiet down, you can't hear what is your spirit, your core, the, the, who you truly are inside. And so it's all about how do you get those parts of you to quiet down so that you can actually hear the you inside you that knows what you want, knows who you are. And truly If anybody listening to this is remotely interested, I can talk about it for days. It was a completely life-changing experience. I did it 10 years ago. I am still in a Facebook group with all of the people that I went through it with. Also, by the way, people in it, you're not allowed to talk about what you do for a living until the very, very end. One was CFO of a $7 billion company. Another was a CEO of a big restaurant chain that you all know. One was a cinematographer of a bunch of movies that you've all have seen, like really, really impressive people. And they're all walking wounded and they're all broken inside. Wow. You can be this incredibly successful person and still hurt, still want to heal. And I think that's something that people don't realize is we personalize it because we don't talk about it. And we think that we're so alone in it. When in reality, those people that you're looking up to, they're doing this work too. They're facing these patterns and these, this trauma and they are doing that too. I wanted to ask you now that you've done a lot of this work and obviously we're always a work in progress. I just want to, we're going to call that out, but what has this unlocked for you? I know that you just stepped into this new leg of your business. I want to hear about what is this healing unlocked for you in your life? The biggest thing is that it is unlocked the fact that these are the people that I want to serve and that I want to help. And so what I really realized is that I think that there's this way of turning the struggle that you've been through into your strength. And this is something that I also think we don't talk about. When you actually deal with the trauma, you deal with the hard stuff you've been through, then you can also start to recognize the lessons that it did teach you, that it does make you a better person. It makes you better at what you do. It makes you stronger, all of this stuff. When you're not really embracing and dealing with the the pain around it, it's really hard. You said the the quote that you shared with Brene Brown, not just the joy of it, but also the strength, the power. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the work that I am doing now, which I feel so incredibly motivated to do is working with entrepreneurs and business professionals around how do you tap into all the hard stuff you've been through How do you recognize the way your trauma is affecting your career and how you show up as a professional? But then also, what from that experience have you learned that is your superpower? 
is the thing that differentiates you, is the thing that helps you connect to others, that helps you show up as a more powerful version of you. How do you fully embrace that and talk about it? You're touching on one of my favorite concepts, which is we all know about post-traumatic stress. We've all heard about it, but so often do we not talk about post-traumatic growth and how when you get over the hump of post-traumatic stress, on the other side of that really scary mountain is post-traumatic growth. And every mountain after that feels like a hill. And that's the thing. I love that you brought that up because I think that's also a concept that we don't talk about enough. When you go through enough really difficult periods, I definitely have, we've only scratched the surface on this conversation. Mm -hmm. You start to get to this point where when you are in a really low period or going through something really hard, you get this weird Zen realization where you're like, okay, this is terrible now, but I know the growth is coming. I know the rocket ship is coming and I'm just preparing and I'm just building and it's okay. And it's going to happen. And there's something that feels very Zen when you can have that moment of detachment where you're like, yeah, it is horrible right now, but it's okay. And I know that when I zoom out, it's kind of like the stock market, you see these massive dips, but then it completely takes off afterwards. And that's how it works for us. And when you can recognize that it makes the hard stuff just a tiny bit less stressful. Yeah. And you can almost really just feel it, really allow yourself to feel it and just cry and, you know, be like, I know that there is good coming. I'm in that place right now. All my stuff's in boxes. I'm in the middle of moving. It's just a lot. And I told my manager today, I was like, something good's going to happen soon. I know it. She was like, why? And I was like, because a lot of bad shit's been going on. And this is the other thing. And I used to struggle with this. I embrace the woo-woo now. I think we all can do a little bit more to cultivate this trust in the universe, whether it's the universe, whether it's God, Mm -hmm. whoever, whatever you want it to be. When you can trust that good things are going to happen, they do. Totally. I agree with that. So I want to let everyone know, because I'm sure that they're wondering, how can they work with you? What do you have going on right now? Is there any special programs that you have that people can get into? And it could be their sign that they need to start a podcast or start their business. Yeah. And honestly, this is because I just started having so many of these conversations. I was like, holy shit, I need to do something. So we're doing a five-day challenge. That is what we're calling the own your story, turning struggle into strength to grow your business or develop your career. And it's going to be all about this. So it's a lot on the mindset stuff and how do you work through this? But then also how do you use your story, use your struggle, your hardship to really define who you are and also how to connect with others. And I'm super excited about it. I think it's going to be really fun. Also, people can follow me on any social media platform. Better Jones is my handle on everything. This is crazy, but I've gotten super active on TikTok and I freaking love it. And anyone who's interested in these conversations, get on TikTok because there's a whole community on TikTok that is talking about trauma talking about how we heal from it, talking about personal development. I thought it was all teenagers dancing. No, it is not. And it's crazy. And it's, it's, there's some really good conversations going on there. And so find me there, find me on Instagram, find me on LinkedIn, YouTube, whatever. And if anyone ever just wants to talk, 
hit me up and we'll schedule time because if you're going through hard stuff, one of the best things you can do is, is remind yourself that you're not alone and starting to have these conversations and get out of your own head. It's a first step. I love that. Thank you so much, Casey. And I'm also a huge fan of TikTok, so I will be following along. Yes. It's amazing. It is amazing. But also you are amazing. Thank you so much for showing up with so much vulnerability and courage and compassion. I think that it takes the brave people like you who are willing to share their story and be so naturally vulnerable. That's going to allow others to open up their heart. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Thanks for jumping on here today. And I'm so excited to connect with you again soon because I'm sure that we will. Yes, we absolutely will. Thank you. This was amazing. And I really, really believe in doing it's so important that you're having these conversations. And so truly, absolutely anything I can do to support you and what you're doing, you let me know. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did. I am always so amazed by Casey and I'm so grateful to call her a friend. As always, I will link her social media profiles in the show notes, as well as the opportunity that she shared with us to engage with her on a five-day challenge to embrace our own story and turn our struggle into strength. If you have questions or thoughts about this episode, feel free to leave a comment. I will definitely read it or send me a direct message on Instagram. My handle is at lifeofep. Or if you prefer email, feel free to send me an email at elizabeth at startwithep.com. Thank you so much for being here and for showing up for your growth. Until next time.